0: who are looking to understand the key training variables and their effect on the simultaneous development of strength and endurance performance. Get your copy now, available to buy from Amazon. Now, let's get into the show. Hello and welcome to The Progress Theory, where we discuss how to implement scientific principles for optimizing human performance. I am Dr. Phil Price, and on today's episode, we are joined by football coach and adventure athlete, Jamie Carr. Jamie has started the Nothing Ventured campaign, where he looks to complete the Marathon de Sable, which is a six-day ultramarathon across the Sahara Desert, and also row solo across the Atlantic Ocean, all to raise around £50,000 for children's charities. In this episode, Jamie and I discuss the reason why he's taking on these challenges, the logistics of these challenges, and how taking on big physical challenges can really help you develop and grow outside of your comfort zone. I've included the Nothing Ventured website in our show notes because you can donate to this amazing cause there. As always, please follow and subscribe to The Progress Theory by our Instagram channel, our YouTube channel, and also wherever you download your podcasts. And while you're there, check out all of our other content. Here is Jamie Carr. Jamie, welcome to The Progress Theory podcast. How are we? Uh, Very good, Phil. How are you? I'm not too bad, not too bad. Thank you so much for coming onto the show. Steph Lazarchuk, who was a guest on The Progress Theory a few weeks ago with a podcast on her hamstring research, put you in touch with me. She just pretty much sent an email saying, you need to speak to this guy. So I did, and we've been chatting since, and you're doing some amazing things. And I thought you were the perfect guest for this podcast. You know, Jamie, tell me a little bit about yourself and what you're doing. Yeah, so I'm obviously Irish with the dodgy accent. Um, I'm from
1: Dublin, Ireland. I'm 29 years old and I've come from a football sort of household growing up. Uh, I'm a football coach now at Manchester City and I've got a couple of crazy challenges coming up that we're going to thrash out today and go through. But yeah, thanks a million to Steph for putting us in touch. We always laugh because Steph has never seen hamstrings as bad as mine in her time in football. So uh, uh, yeah, that's how the introduction came out, I suppose.
0: Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about this project you're about to embark on. Like it just sounds, I'm, okay, first of all, I need to highlight that I'm incredibly jealous. And I'll be trying to take notes on everything that you say today, just in case I want to do something similar. Uh, But yeah, tell us a little bit. It's the Nothing Ventured campaign, isn't it?
1: Yeah, so the Nothing Adventure campaign is something I set up about eight months ago, I suppose, where when I started to get the ball rolling on it. Um, but it's been something I've been working on for a long time. I've been planning it for years, really. I've just never known when I was going to do it. Mm. Um, so essentially, it's two challenges that I'm going to be taking in 2022. So the first one is the Marathon des Sables, which is a self-supported multi-day ultra-marathon in the Sahara Desert, and then the second one is the real crazy one, which is mm. uh, the Solo Atlantic Row
0: in December 2022. So that's when uh, it goes a little bit crazy. Mm, definitely. What's the um, the background for this challenge? You said you've known for a while you've wanted to do this. Is there like a charity reason or just like a personal reason why you're doing this challenge?
1: Uh, I suppose it's a bit of both, really.
0: I'm trying to raise £50,000 for two children's
1: charities, one in the UK and one in Ireland, which is very important to me. And that's a big driver. The other side of it is my personal reasons, really. I love doing these sort of things. I love doing these challenges. And ever since I finished playing football, I suppose I've been searching for a purpose and, and something mm-hmm. to to spark you in the mornings when you get up. And I found challenge to be exactly that. So I've done some smaller things over the years, m- marathons, uh, mountains, a few mountains as well. Um, and now I'm just sort of, I've, had, I've always had this in my mind and I've always said, I'll do it one day, I'll do it one day. And it's very difficult when you work in football because you're mm-hmm. limited with how much time you can get off. COVID came about and it kind of was a bit of a realization that there is literally no better time than now and who knows what's around the corner so I kind of grasped that time and said right let's make this happen and here we are
0: yeah definitely what mountains have you climbed like it sounds like you've been pushing yourself quite a lot already so this is the next step um, this definitely
1: isn't the next step. I've done Kilimanjaro, which is basically a seven day walk, which you've done, I saw on your Instagram, you've done as well. Yeah. Um, and then the plan was to do Mount Elbrus, which is the biggest mountain in Europe before doing some others. And um, however, COVID literally crashed that. I, I had that booked and ready to go with it two, two oh. months before it it fell through. So it was a nightmare.
0: Elbrus is amazing. I've done
1: Elbrus as well. Yeah, I know. I saw that. Yeah.
0: yeah. It looks unbelievable. The
1: views and stuff look amazing. And I, it's a tough summit day, I've mm. heard. So I was looking forward to that. But yeah, so, and then I've, al- I've always had things written down that I want to do before I'm 30, want to do before I'm 40. Um, and then I so- sort of said, these are the two main ones I wanted to do. And if I amalgamate them both and make a big sort of campaign out of it, I'll be able to hopefully raise a lot of money, which, like I said, is quite important to me. So yeah, that's how it, it sort of came about. And um, the, like I said, COVID was a big re- realization and it got the ball rolling and sort of 12 months work has got me to where it is now, which is the start of a uh, campaign. And um, with the events being eight months away for the Marathon to Sab, and then you're looking at probably 16 to 18 months for the, the Atlantic Row, which requires a lot of preparation yeah. for that. So it's going to be a big 2022.
0: Hmm. Yeah, of course. What are the children's charities? It be great to put the link in the show notes and we can try and help you raise that money.
1: Yeah, so um, the Cancer Fund for Children is a therapeutic short break centre in Northern Ireland that helps kids with cancer and their families during a really tough period of treatment, et cetera. And it's like a little getaway for them. So they're building a second facility in Southern Ireland, uh, in the West, in um, the West of Ireland. I'm from Dublin, but it, it, it's Southern Ireland. Roy McElroy's donated a lot of money towards this building facility that they're building. And I'm raising money towards that facility to hopefully create something that's going to be there for a long time and help a lot of children, bring a little bit of a smile to their faces anyway.
0: Mm. oh that's absolutely amazing
1: yeah the second charity is um city in the community so it's man city's community uh, foundation they're launching a new mental health program called city thrive on the back of covid to help children that are struggling with mental health issues etc so Mm. I, i can obviously i work with children every day i understand how much of a toll this has taken on them like it's hard for me to get my head around my my sort of um dreams and aspirations getting affected by covid but i Literally, for children, it must be mm. so much harder. Like, I can't really comprehend how, how hard it mm. must have been for them. So, um, I just thought it would be a, a really good initiative as well to support. So, yeah, the money's going to be split 50-50 between those two charities.
0: Yeah. Because you are a football coach at Man City, is that that's right?
1: Yeah, so uh, I'm the under-14s coach at Man City. Um, before that, I worked at Reading Football Club. Um, oh, wicked. But, yeah, I've been at City now three seasons, so I'm just starting my fourth season mm.
0: now. yeah. And you've really seen the effect of COVID and the lockdown on these kids. Like, is it really, really noticeable? Like, that's such a influential time in someone's life, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and particularly when you're working towards something like these these boys are aspiring to be footballers where there's it's capped. You can only be a certain age being a footballer, I suppose. So every year that you miss is a development year. So I've seen mm. certainly the effect on them, but also this has a huge effect on the wider population as well. You see teenagers that just haven't been in school, haven't been around their friends, uh, and look, it's it's caused all sorts of effects, which we all are very aware of. So if there's anything I can do to support us, I think
0: it's such a brilliant cause as well. Yeah, no, that's absolutely amazing. I think it's so easy to just look at everything and think, oh, you know, we'll get through this. Yes, we're in lockdown. Yes, it's gonna be difficult, but we'll get through it. But it's only until afterwards where you really look back and just see how much it actually affected you and how much of a big portion of life it's taken away, in a way. So when it's during such an influential time, like when you're 13, 14, like that must be so, so difficult. Like I've seen it in people that are doing their university degrees, their, their um, A-levels, that, that particular time is so key. So yeah, the the work you're doing is absolutely amazing to try and help them through that. It's, it's so cool to see. With your challenge, right... Why Marathon des and why the row? Good question. Um, I've always been
1: obsessed with these races since I saw them on documentaries on the Discovery Channel, literally years and years ago. I remember sitting on the couch with my mum watching these programs and ever since then I've been like, I am doing that. As life goes, I haven't been able to pinpoint when I'm going to do it. Mm. Like I said, working in football is very restrictive in terms of being able to have the time to do these things. So I was always thinking right, if I ever get sacked one day in football or I have a period of time off, it's gonna be perfect, I'm gonna do it. But who knows when that's gonna happen? So yeah, the MDS, I'm just fascinated by the sort of adventure side of it really. Like i, I have no interest mm. in running another road marathon. <laughs> I just couldn't be bothered. Like I've done one and I'm like, I never wanna do that again. My most recent marathon was in the hills and I enjoyed that so much more And with, with weight in your back. It's just added an extra dimension and a little bit more crazy. So yeah the adventure side of the MDS where you're self-supported, where you carry everything you need to survive on your back. You're in a desert, which everyone knows running on sand is incredibly difficult. You're climbing up Jebbles and up and down these huge sand dunes and then sleeping in a tent, <laughs> which is literally a sheet over a few sticks uh, with six random people you've never met before. That's the adventure side of it that I'm like, yeah, I like the idea of that.
0: <laughs> that could be for someone else, that could be someone else's nightmare, couldn't it? Whereas <laughs> I completely understand where you're coming from. It's that something that people wouldn't do that's so far out of a lot of people's comfort zones. You're like, yeah, I want to go there. Mm-hmm. 100%. 100%. And what about the row?
1: Yeah, again, I was doing a Premier League coaching course uh, about five years ago and there was a sports psychologist came on to speak about the work he'd done with a team of four women that were going to row the Pacific ocean and they had a documentary out. So I went home that night, watched the documentary and I was just like, Oh my God, that looks horrific. Like horrific. And a tiny little seven meter rowing boat uh, for months with like not seeing anyone, no contact from the outside world. They were a team of four. So it was quite hard. And I was just like, Wow. That looks really, really cool. Never, ever thinking that I'd do that. At that stage, I was like, amazing. Don't think it's possible for someone like me. I have no no experience of the sea. I'm not a sailor. No maritime experience. So probably not something I'll ever do, but it is amazing. And then as the years <laughs> went on, I started to follow a race called the Talisker, uh, Tal- Talisker yeah. Whiskey Atlantic Challenge. And I started to see that random people with who are like me, no maritime experience with a solid base of training can actually do this. So I followed, um, a guy called Damian Brown on Instagram and he put up daily updates of his Atlantic crossing. And I was just fascinated by that. Like he went solo and I was like, that is literally so tough. That is as tough as as it gets. And I was like that I'm starting to believe now that I could maybe do it at this stage. And that was about three or four years ago, three years ago, maybe ever since then, I've just, kept on track, watching the race, watching the race, said I'm going to do it then, committed to it. And um, then it was like, when? When are you going to do it? And hmm. like I said, COVID came about and I was like, right, the time is now.
0: I'm starting to get a feel of how you think. So you, you listened to this <laughs> this talk, saw this documentary of the four rowers, thought that looks horrendous, that looks so tough. And that's got to a point where you're going to do the same thing. That looked really tough but on your own. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly.
1: I'm quite impulsive, so when I commit to something, I'm like, I'm all in. When yeah. I'm motivated to do something, I I will literally go for it. Um, and yeah, and that's how it's kind of snowballed now quite quickly, and, and, and here we are.
0: Yeah, definitely. I'm definitely going to check. I, I'm, I'm aware of the Talisker race, but I'm going to definitely look into it with a bit more detail, I think. I've definitely got <laughs> one or two friends that want to do it as well, so... Maybe I should watch the documentary first. I have not seen that.
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's loads on Amazon Prime at the moment that you can see, and there's loads of books out and stuff. And James Cracknell did it with Ben Fogel, and they wrote a book about it. They did it as a pair. So it's quite interesting. And originally, I thought thought I'm not capable of doing this on my own because of my limited knowledge. So I was thinking I'll probably end up doing it as a team. I kind of thought, I I know myself, if I did this as a team, in five, ten years' time, I'd want to do it again. And actually yeah. having researched it, there's a lot of people that are now, that i have spoken to that did it as a team that are now coming back to do it solo. And I'm like, I'm so glad I just made the decision to do it solo because <laughs> I don't think it's something you want to do twice.
0: Yeah. No, definitely. Regarding the two challenges, are there any, what are the logistics with them? Like I'm assuming you've got to commandeer a boat for the row. Uh, are there specific training or courses or qualifications you need to get as you train leading up to it? Um is that, yeah, for anyone that might be interested in doing a challenge that's similar, what kind of logistical things have you had to go through uh, to set this up?
1: There's huge logistical stuff to go on in regards to the row. Um, that's why a campaign takes so long. You have to start planning mm. two, two years out, really. Wow. So things like getting the boat is the big one. And these things are not cheap. They're very expensive, particularly if you're buying a brand new one. The good thing is, though, they hold the value quite well, particularly when they've done a crossing. So the resale value is quite high, which for me, all that money on the resale value is going straight to the charities, which is important as well. Mm. But yeah, there's the the boat you have to do. I think it's either 120 or 150 mandatory training hours on the water, on on the sea. So that takes, when you think about that, it's not just a few weekends here and there. That's a lot. Mm. You have to do... A number of mandatory training courses as well, like sea survival, uh, sea first aid, etc. Mm. The reason you really enter this race is because it's safe. It's got a really good safety record and it's expensive to enter because of all the checks and the, they're so focused on safety and mm. ensuring that it's a safe race. that it's, it, it, it is expensive, but they make sure that you're well covered for most eventualities.
0: It definitely sounds necessary, doesn't it? It's, it's weird to hear that, actually, because you would assume you're on your own in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean that inherently just sounds quite dangerous. But it really does sound like they are you are well looked after during such a, an event.
1: Yeah, so everyone asks me, will there be people out there with you? And the answer is no, there won't. Like, there is a safety yacht that goes and follows the fleet, but the team of fours and fives will probably be miles and miles ahead of me. So mm. if the safety yacht is up maybe at the middle of the pack or near the front... It could be seven days, eight days away from me at any stage. Wow. So that safety us basically, it's not much good. The main thing they do give you is all the other safety devices, such as like your EPIRB, which is your positioning device in case something happened, which would obviously trigger help from the nearest shipping vessel, et cetera. Or if you needed, it, um, you obviously have your lifeboat, um, loads of grab bags, loads of safety equipment that... Gives you every chance, I suppose. If if the worst did happen, um, mm-hmm. but like I said, their safety record is really really good. So uh, they've had to they've had a few incidents over the years. The most recent one, scary one for me, really is uh, last year they had a lot of marlin strikes. So a marlin's okay, like a yeah. fish with a big huge beak. Yeah. But last year I think they had three marlin strikes where the beak would actually come through the boat, and people were sleeping, and these things were flying through the boat, and there's a hole in your boat then. So this year they've added their rule where you have to have like a Kevlar sort of a Kevlar sheet below where you sleep just in case these marlin strikes. So they're always, as soon as something comes up, this race is very well prepared and they're trying to think of how we can make it safer. But there's all sorts of crazy things like that.
0: <laughs> you just wouldn't think that would be a safety issue. And you think, oh, <laughs> what happens if? There was waves which capsized the vessel, all of that sort of thing. Not that you're going to get attacked by a number of different <laughs> different fish while you're sleeping in the boat.
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. So yeah, but uh, in terms of the the, the waves and the capsized, that is something that does tend to happen um, across the across the journey. So mm-hmm. these boats are designed especially so that they self right. So that as long as you've done everything right in terms of your roles and responsibilities of keeping the cabin door shut, yeah, when it flips, it should just self-right. And if oh, you're wow. out at the time, you, you need to always be clipped on, um, which I'm sure we'll touch on a bit later. But like everything is there as long as you do your bit.
0: Yeah. Follow your checklist. Make sure that you follow it to the T.
1: Yeah, exactly. And that's one of the big things I'm training at the moment. There's the physical training and then there's also mm. the other side of the training, which is, for me, discipline. Um, it's probably one of my weaknesses in life I'm the type of guy, I just got back from holidays actually the other day, I'm the type of guy that would leave the suitcase there half unpacked like not fully thrown in the washing machine that's me, so a big thing I'm focusing on over this preparation period is just ensuring that I don't leave crumbs, I do everything right because it's not just a little thing here or there, Mm. these little things become big things out there and like it's life or death, if I don't clip on and there's a wave I'm gone, there's no getting Mm. back on the boat if I leave the cabin door open and water gets in, it's not going to self right. Yeah. So all these small things in day-to-day life that I'm usually pretty poor at, I need to make sure that I'm I'm sort of nailing now um, over the next 18 months in preparation for sort of life or death.
0: Yeah, no, certainly. I guess if there's the life or death situation, you pay a bit more attention, don't you? Ho- hopefully, yeah. You automatically just... <laughs> hopefully <laughs> yeah hopefully but like you know as well
1: as as well as anyone when you're tired yeah are course. you still able to make those decisions or are you are you gonna go oh it should be all right like
0: yeah, yeah i've heard
1: lots of stories of the rowers after a tough day that they don't quite um tie their oars down at night properly if they've had a really tough day they go into the cabin they wake up next morning oh it's fine they do that for five or ten days and then on the 11th day there's a big storm they wake up and their oar's gone because oh. they haven't lashed it down properly And then you're now like, I've got two more oars left for the whole crossing. If one breaks, I'm dead, basically. Not actually dead, but you get rescued (laughs) because you cannot row with one oar, can you? So it's all those small little things. Yeah, it's all those small little things that... It's a big part of my training, really, the training discipline. um, And that's something I'm focusing on.
0: Mm. Are there any logistical issues for the Marathon disabler? I mean, obviously, long distances five days in a row immense temperatures while you don't need to commandeer a boat and do all of that sort of thing there must be quite a few logistical things that you've had to put in place to get ready for that event as well
1: yeah uh, i suppose like getting your nutrition right and your hydration right and having a plan in place for that even Mm. when you're in those moments of real tiredness and suffering like day four the mds is a long day where you do double marathon Mm. um and you get back, you tend to get back in the middle of the night and you're just absolutely shattered and you just lie down. All the people that have done this right have said that you still need to hydrate at that time. You still need to look after your feet because if you don't, you've still got two more marathons to run or another marathon to run the next day. So, yeah, the the, the MDS, there isn't as many logistics. It's a much cheaper race and uh, more or less anyone can go and enter that. You, st- you have to get your heart checked and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's, it, like, I, like I said, anyone can really enter mm. that. But I'm not underestimating that that race is going to be very, very hard for me, uh, particularly in the heat.
0: Yeah, like I was away,
1: I was away running last week, like 27, 28 degrees, and like it has a noticeable effect even at that heat. Never mind 50 degrees or whatever it could be.
0: Yeah, funnily enough, we actually have uh, Dr. Becky Neal coming on the Progress Theory in a few weeks' time uh, to talk about training in the heat. So uh, definitely pay attention to that episode. I think. Yeah, 100%.
1: I'll get the notebook out
0: for that one. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> what are you doing for foot care? That is something I've seen on Amazon Prime was, I think it was three brothers that did the Marathon Disablers and it followed them through the through the event. And the thing that they kept saying or it kept coming up on the show was how wrecked everyone's feet were. Uh, and I'm guessing, you know, you've got to find some way to avoid as much sand getting into your shoe as possible. The fact that you're on your feet for possibly 18 hours, especially on that day four, like your feet must just get wrecked. And as soon as your feet go, you can't run. So what kind of what kind of foot care do you think you will be doing? Or is there something you're doing now in preparation?
1: Well, they say that the two big things that stop people completing the MDS, the first one is dehydration. The second one is foot care. So mm. they're both equally as important, really. Yeah. Just for people to understand it, I suppose you have your trainer, your runner, your shoe, I suppose, and then you have a gaiter that goes around it, and that's fixed to your shoe. So that's ideally there to keep the sand out. But everyone that's ever been to the beach will understand that you cannot keep sand out of everywhere. Sand ends up everywhere, especially <laughs> in a desert. So as soon as as soon as the sand gets in your in inside your shoe, I suppose, then you have the heat, the sweat, and the, and the movement it equates to friction, and you're in trouble best advice I've heard so far is as soon as you feel those little bits of discomfort in your feet is to treat them there and then don't wait if you wait yeah. you're in big trouble because a lot of people say "Oh, just grizz it out just push yourself get through it in fact I think that's just stupid in those moments in those moments you need to be sensible rather than just being a lunatic so taking five minutes to sort your shoe out empty it, make sure it's right um, mm. it's probably invaluable and then long term I think people have said try and avoid water and and wetting your feet up to two weeks before the race just because it softens your foot so you need to try and like harden the skin i suppose in preparation so i might i have to look into that further but that's something i might explore and then just trying to wear the most comfortable shoe don't be changing my shoes like it's very easy to go oh what's the best shoe for peak performance for someone like me but actually it's all about comfort here rather than peak performance i suppose yeah. Um, because the MDS, you don't run the whole thing. But on those big hills, you're walking. Um when, when it's fifty degrees, there's parts of it you're going to be walking. It's a walk run event. So
0: yeah, it's a get to from A to B as safely as possible type of event. Yeah, exactly.
1: Especially for someone that's I'm not much of a runner, like but back when I was playing football, people I was a centre half, so I was the one that stood at the back and didn't have to do an awful lot. So <laughs> even just one marathon for me is hard. So um
0: six back to back, it's gonna be tough. Mm. Do you have to carry all of your food, water from day to day?
1: Yeah, so all your food, your clothing, your sleeping bag, whatever you need for the six days, you have to have on your back. The only thing that they give you at checkpoints is water, which you then carry yourself um, every sort of fif- yeah, 15 kilometers or so. So, yeah, um, and people doing the MTS are paranoid about weight. mm. They like cut down an the amount of food. They cut the straps off their bags just to save weight. They cut their toothbrush in half. They do all these things to save weight. But I'm a big foodie, so food is huge to me. Like after a marathon, I'm going to want to eat and refuel. So I'm kind of playing around in my head with how how much is my pack gonna weigh? It's probably going to be something like twelve kilos, whereas they recommend no more than like eight nine. But I know the importance to my like food is to my morale. No. Like if if I want to keep going, I want to know that I have something there to to look forward to i suppose yeah the, the other thing is they they give you a tent but when i say tent it's not a tent it's basically a berber tribal tent which is basically a few sticks and then there's a sheet over it and an old rug on the floor but like the sides are open any wind or like this mm. i've heard of scorpions coming in <laughs> and stuff like that during the night and people getting stung by those so
0: well
1: yeah it's, it's fairly uh, exposed
0: are they deadly the, the scorpions they have there or is it just an inconvenience
1: oh yeah no Um part of the kit that you have to carry is a venom pump so it's it, yeah it's been known that there's the snakes around obviously in the desert and then scorpions mm. i think more people are bitten by those and spiders but on day four when you're you're obviously doing the second marathon of that day and you're going through the night they're not i think they're nocturnal so like that's that's when you're uh I'll I'll certainly have the head torch on scanning
0: around hopefully if I can still uh, function properly at that stage. If it wasn't hard enough, you've now got to dodge (laughs) snakes, scorpions and whatever with your pump ready. The more and more we talk about this, more and more things are just coming up that are obstacles. There's a million reasons not to do this. (laughs) Yeah. So what about the training that you're doing for this? So you're doing the run first and then you're doing the row. So I'm guessing you're in your running training at the moment. What kind of stuff are you doing for it?
1: Yeah, so I started training um, about seven months ago now. And for the first six months, it was more so just building up uh, a base of strength, uh, improving my mobility, learning to row. That was what, sort of where I started. And the big, I, I'm, I'm working with a guy called Gus Barton, who's a PT, who has done a two ocean, one ocean row and one uh, rowing around the UK. But he's also done a couple of ultramarathons. So I thought he'd be uh, a perfect sort of person to pull my training plan and program together. And the big thing that he sort of taught me at the moment is like, you don't need to thrash yourself. This is about staying injury free over a long Mm -hmm. period to make sure you can peak at the end. For me, I was used to doing CrossFit for the last sort of 18 months. And I would literally thrash yourself every day. (laughs) And that's just not a solid way for me to train, I think, for something like this. So being more specific, I had a big block on sort of rowing and learning to row at the the start, and now I'm sort of moving more towards the run, trying to build up that aerobic base, I suppose. And then Mm -hmm. down the line, I think that's going to result in things like adding hills in, adding back-to-back day running, as well as with a pack. Um, And then also just like time on feet, so walk Mm -hmm. runs uh, over a long weekend and stuff like that.
0: Yeah. Sounds like the guy you're working with kind of knows his stuff. Like (laughs) Making sure you're injury-free is the main thing. As soon as you're injured, you can't train properly. uh, And the thing that's going to improve you is training. So if you can't train, you're not going to get better. So uh, that's a really good philosophy to keep to. And I'm glad you've moved away from the uh, thrashing yourself at uh, CrossFit before uh, (laughs) doing stuff that's more specific to your goals. Yeah, 100%.
1: And uh, it's kind of hard as well because... You want to push yourself every day in preparation mm. for like mental hell that's coming. But sometimes you need to understand that there's a bigger picture. And for me at the moment, that rowing machine is hell anyway. So uh, I'm still getting that.
0: Yeah, it can be not fun that times, can it?
1: Yeah, well, honestly, for the first, for the first three months, uh, if I got past 12 minutes on the rowing machine, my bum would just go numb on both sides. Like, I literally yeah. could not feel my whole legs. So I'm only now starting to get to the stage where I can row for like an hour without like that, which is just horrific because you try and stand up and you're just like, I've never walked before. You're just all (laughs) over the place. It's crazy.
0: Yeah, yeah. It shows just how your body needs to adapt to, isn't like, oh, it's a new form of training. Like your body's just repetitively going through different motions that you're not used to. At least with running, it's relatively similar to walking and you do run in everyday life. Whereas, the actual skill of rowing, you know, you don't do anywhere else apart from on the rower or on a boat. So being comfortable on that for a long period of time is so difficult, isn't it?
1: Yeah, and look, uh, apparently training on a rowing machine, which I have there behind me, is so different to ocean rowing on an actual boat. Like it's just so yeah. different. Okay, but it's it's the closest thing to prepare yourself to actually before then train on water. But I've never seen an ocean rowing boat yet. I've never even like being on one or I've never rowed in my life. So this was the very start. And then hopefully when I get my boat, I'll be able to get the actual proper specific training in and actually feel what it is like on the body um, when you're training on the water. Because they say like at times there'll be a wave breaking from this side. You have to stabilize with this arm and then you're rowing with one arm. So it is training. You have to train the body for all that sort of stuff, the twisting and turning, I suppose, of that as well. Um, But Mm. you guys will know a hell of a lot more about that than me. That's why I'm relying on Gus to sort of Uh, do all the training for me and make sure this program specifically and right
0: do you think these challenges are going to be more physical or more mental for you the reason i'm asking that question is that i wanted to get into a bit more detail around your mindset when it comes to doing these challenges because i can imagine you know being excited and maybe a little bit apprehensive before doing it but when you're there like it's such a big mental component to push you to keep going Seeing as you've done big challenges before, yeah, these are bigger. But uh, what do you think your mindset will be for these for these challenges?
1: Well, the row is one hundred percent mental, more or less. Like you need to condition your body to be injury free and 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 like robust. But then it's it's all mental. So how do you prepare for that million dollar (laughs) question? For me, in the past, when I've done like tough things, the toughest thing for me was probably the weighted marathon in the hills. Uh, it's just sort of like preparing that you and accepting that pain is coming like this is going to hurt for me it's kind of like i ask myself am i willing to get injured to get through this and if i say yes that means i'm fully committed i'm I'm all in here and it's Hmm. more or less then about just getting it done it's not about like if it's like this is getting done whether you're crawling walking or not and you'll get that sense of satisfaction afterwards that everyone what i really really love Um, and Mm. that's why I do these things for that sort of the rewards that that come afterwards so yeah it's kind of like flicking that switch in your head that's like it's coming get ready for it
0: and accept accept that's 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 a really good way of thinking about it because everyone when everyone talks about mindset they talk about the approach to it like before they do it and sometimes they talk about that voice in their head that may be telling them to stop but if you've already accepted what's to come Surely, that voice in your head telling you to stop wouldn't be there because you've accepted it already. <laughs> that voice telling you "Stop it hurts doesn't exist because you've accepted it's going to hurt already
1: yeah, and th- the funny thing is that uh, people often often overlook is the training you have this every week, the training is horrible, like for yeah. a marathon r- spending four hours out in the roads or whatever like you have these you have those voices in your head all the time doing that as well so. It's not just the event you have to you have to accept and training is going to feel terrible as well
0: mm. say someone wants to do a big challenge themselves they want to push themselves outside of their perceived comfort zone. What would your recommendation be for anyone that wants to do a big challenge? Is it just just go for it or you know maybe try smaller things or work your way up? I think like as human beings we'
1: we're, we're, we're our own worst enemy, and understanding that our heads and our voices in our heads are gonna probably talk us out of things a lot quicker than they'll talk us into things. So, like f- find we often find reasons why not to do things rather than find the reasons to do things. So especially when they're hard. So for me, this row, especially, I, I could think of a million reasons why I'm not cut out to do this. But I think having the courage to try is probably the most underrated thing in life. I think people all over the world, I think we often we are we're often scared of doing things and that our minds often rule us out of doing things that we're actually capable of. And I have a big fear of looking back and going, oh, I wish I'd done that. I wish I'd done that. So, And look, as human beings, we all we all see people in either work scenarios or in these challenges going, how did he do that? Or how did she do that? Thinking like, well, actually, she did that or he did that because they had the courage to try and they put in a hell of a lot of work. So there's there's no sort of magic formula other than my best way of doing it is I research the hell out of it, ask people who have done these events previously, and then I prepare myself to do things that I won't enjoy and probably that most others <laughs> won't do.
0: <laughs> that's some great recommendations there. Ask lots of questions and just accept you're not going to enjoy it, but that buzz at the end is going to be euphoric.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. When you're sitting on the couch with your feet up,
0: um, having dominoes, that's when yeah. you can uh, be prepared. It's always yourself. a dominoes, isn't it? <laughs> The bigger and bigger the challenge gets, what are you going to eat afterwards? Well, it's pretty big, so Domino's, obviously. (laughs) Thick crust. It's never like, I'm going to go for a curry. You know, curry is just something you do with your friends. But if it's a big challenge, what are you eating afterwards? Domino's. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Spot on. Spot on. Exactly
0: that. I just want to kind of finish up with asking if you've thought about after nothing ventured campaign and the reason i'm asking that is because you said you'd created a bit of a bucket list now you might not want to say what's on your bucket list but to me that says oh you've actually thought a bit more about you know what you want to achieve you know this is a small part on how you push yourself is there you know have you had a little think about what's happening after the nothing ventured campaign
1: (laughs) yeah yeah 100 um i'm yeah i have a list like you said the big one for me probably will be uh, Denali. Uh, cool. you, you'll probably That's know about cool. that. It's part yes. of the Seven Summits. Yeah. Yeah, I'd, lo- I'd love to do that. I might have to do Albers first just to, to get a little bit more experience on snow and mountains and mm. stuff. But I love mountains because I'm so scared of heights. Like, I'm really scared of heights. I did Crib Gawk in, in and yeah. Snowden a few, like, I don't know, maybe a year ago, and I, I was petrified up there on my own, <laughs> I must say.
0: Have you ever done it? Yeah, I've done it. And it gets proper windy there, and you're like walking across something that's a knife edge, isn't it? And you could easily just get yeah. blasted over by winds, and then you're, I don't know, you're falling like a kilometer down, aren't you? It's ropey up there.
1: Yeah, so I was doing it on my own. I, I didn't have a guide or I didn't know what I, where I was going. So that was the big thing that was scaring me. I'm like, am I going to get to a stage where I'm, I cannot move forward or back? But yeah, so eventually got through that. So mountains are definitely on my list. There's, there's something euphoric mm. about when you get to the top and you're just like it's addictive for me it's actually it's not even getting to the top it's like 100 meters below when you know you've got you're you're gonna make it like on killie i wasn't buzzed up when i got to the top when i got to the the little bit just below i can't remember what it's called Uh, that was where it hit me i was like oh this is amazing you're watching sunrise and you can see the curvature of the earth and that's the yeah the feeling you get when you're there is just like wow this is this is incredible so Denali's definitely on my list um and then I'd love to go to the Himalayas and stuff. Uh, but I don't think I have any interest in Everest.
0: Um, okay. Do you? I do. We had Audrey Brownlee on. Uh, we recorded with Audrey Brownlee just the other day. Um, and she's just got back from climbing Everest. And the stories that she was telling about her time there, her time trying to attempt K2 as well, just absolutely crazy. There's something different when you go above 8,000 meters. But even then, I'm just like, because I've been to every space Camp and I've seen it. So you get that summit fever where well, I want to go up there. But I know that <laughs> some of the dangerous bits are just below the summit. You've got the Kumbu Icefall, which you've got to uh, navigate mm. it at night because during the day it melts and then it sort of breaks. So you obviously don't want to tr- do it then. So that's a particularly dangerous part. So you're staring at something that could is incredibly dangerous, but still there's something that comes over you and you just want to go, yeah, I want to do that. I'd love to do Everest. Fortunately, I don't have 50 grand on me to, uh, to do that. Never know if I enter the lottery, maybe. I don't know. We'll have to think of it in the future. But Denali would be great. I've heard Denali is difficult because of the weather. That brings with it a new challenge because the weather is particularly bad. Um, Mount Vincent, Antarctica, that would be wicked. But again, I don't have like 60 grand, but I'm with you. Mount, something about mountains. Yeah. And I know exactly what you're talking about when you, you discuss that last bit when summiting Kilimanjaro. Hmm. Yeah, 100%. 100%. But yeah, some
1: of those seven summits look very ropey, especially the one in Indonesia. Yeah. Is it Indonesia? The one yes. Whereas the most technical one, that looks crazy. You have to walk or you have to go across the, uh, the is it like a, a wire or something like that? Yeah. I can't remember the name of it anyway. For some
0: reason I can't remember the name. I should know. But I've I remember reading an account of it and you've got to like trek in the jungle for like a month before you get to the the actual climb and the technical climb. And it's just, you know, that hot, humid wetness that you've got to live in for uh, for a month which makes it one of the most difficult uh ascents and you haven't even got to the ascent mm. bit yet yeah it's but, it's,
1: it's amazing the, the problem with mountains is they're just so expensive mm. like it's a rich man's sport really to be yeah. honest and the thing is imagine going to everest paying 50 grand and then the weather there's no weather window <laughs> where you are just not like it didn't come around, like I would be I don't know how it works but
0: I'd be devastated yeah. no yeah, yeah definitely all that money and you'd probably be able to see it and then, no, we've got to go down. Otherwise, you could die. Oh, right. Yeah. Great. (laughs) Yeah.
1: but You don't mess around on that thing, I'd say. You you take the advice of those guys for sure.
0: Jamie, that was... Absolutely incredible. Again, I'm incredibly jealous. And I'm going to be looking into these challenges even more myself, like uh, I'm, I'm so jealous. He looked amazing. And I think what you're doing for those charities is absolutely incredible as well. Just to finish off, how can anyone get follow your campaign? Is it on Twitter, Instagram? How can we follow and maybe donate uh, to the charities and this, um, this campaign as well?
1: Yeah, Instagram's probably the best um, platform to to follow me on. That's where I'll probably be most active. So I'm sure you'll add it into the or tag it into the course, program yeah. notes and stuff on this. So you'll find there, Nothing Venture Campaign. Um, and then I've got a website, which the bio's in the Instagram, that if anyone can donate, it'd be amazing. Um, it's for a great cause. But
0: yeah, Phil, I look forward to getting you out for a training row yeah. um, when I get my boat. Absolutely, you've got to invite me along. Definitely. <laughs> As a final question, actually... Uh, we asked this to all of our guests. If you had to pick a guest to be on the progress theory, who would you choose? And it could be anyone, but Ooh. I can imagine you choosing some like incredible adventurer or like a really interesting guest.
1: David Goggins has to be up there. I ah, love the Goggins. Man. I think he cra- it cracks me up. He's so funny. Mm. Um, but Matthew McConaughey's up there as well. I think he would have some fascinating stories. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'd, I think I'll probably have to. You
0: need to listen to his book. I'll probably have to go with Goggins because I listen to his book every night. So, <laughs> do you have that playing while you are, you know, training for these events?
1: No, I, I try not to use earphones when I'm training. So on the runs and the rows, I just do without that because I need to of prepare course, for yeah. not having them. So, makes sense. But no, I I, I use um, Goggins to put me to sleep. So every most nights, whenever I can't sleep, just throw him on, and within an yeah. hour I'll be gone.
0: Really? Yeah.
1: I've I've listened to the book about 15 times.
0: I can imagine me listening to Goggins just before going to bed and all of a sudden I want to go train, even if it's like 11 p.m. or something like that. It'll just be (laughs) wired. (laughs)
1: Come on. Yeah, that's probably why I don't sleep very well at the moment.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Anyways, Jamie, thank you so much for that. And everyone, check out Jamie's Instagram, his website, and if you can donate, that would be amazing as well. Jamie, thank you very much.
1: Brilliant. Thanks a million, Phil.
0: Thank you to Jamie for coming on to The Progress Theory and talking about his Nothing Ventured campaign. It is incredible what he's doing to raise money for charities and it will have such an impact on people's lives. It was an inspirational episode and one which I hope encouraged everyone listening to complete their own bucket list. As usual, I just wanted to provide some final thoughts on key areas of the episode which really stood out for me. Personally, it was such a shock to me to learn about so many additional dangers associated with these challenges. I understand the dangers of dehydration, heat stroke, during the mouth and desablus. It just didn't cross my mind that scorpions could also play a huge factor. Similarly, in the row, being attacked by Marlins, I would have never have thought that. These are dangers you only find out by experiencing it firsthand. So, like Jamie says. When looking to take on a new challenge, find many people who have done a similar challenge and ask as many questions as possible. Secondly, I enjoyed hearing Jamie's drive and determination. As he learns more about these challenges and the difficulties you'll face when taking them on, it seems to spur him on even more. It's like the more pain he may experience or the greater the chance of him not succeeding, the more he wants to do it. The most important part of his mindset was acceptance. He accepts it's going to suck, which reduces his anxiety. You can't worry about something you've already accepted. Anyways, I hope you enjoyed this episode and it gave you plenty of inspiration to take on your own bucket list. It would be awesome if you could also leave us a review and share this episode on your Insta story to help grow the show. We will see you in the next one.